Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. If you didn't receive a message card on your way in, you can raise your hand and one of the ushers would serve you. But this is a guide for you today, not just to follow along in the message, but to, to review this week. Um, you know, I created over a period of few years uh, an expectancy for God to speak when I take notes. Um, if God is indeed speaking in these moments, if we as a community, if you're new to us, we come around the Word of God in moments like this. And what we have found is that as we study the Word of God together, we found that when we apply it, it changes the way we live. And God's Word is living and active, and so this is an opportunity. If you have a Uversion app on your phone, you can follow the same notes there as well if you want to click events, and you'll see Dwelling Place Church. I'm going to stick with the table, if you don't mind, one more week. Um, I, I have a slight tears in my L4, L5, and S1, and so I've been on rehab. Physical therapy is going very well. Thank you so much for your prayers the last few weeks, um, especially with the diverticulitis again this last week. But God is faithful. And I'm really excited about what he's going to speak to us today as uh, we jump into the Word of God. We are in this series called The Reset. Would you say that with me? The Reset. Week one or one, I talked about reexamining your path, how to look at your path in light of what Christ has called you to walk. And so often we spend our time looking and comparing our trajectory in Christ with someone else's, and it's a very dangerous thing to do. And uh, week number two, we talked about word and deed. Pastor Chad talked about word and deed. And then week three, he did a powerful message called Right There in the Middle. And he talked about uh, whoever controls your life is who controls your tongue. The pilot of your life is your tongue, James 3 says. Who contained the tongue? It's an unruly member. And the Bible says only the Holy Spirit can do that. And we talked about that. Last week, I talked about how do I know I'm on God's path. I've got a lot of feedback from that message. And so if you're new with us today, you can always check that out on the podcast. I want to continue to uh, the, the final message here of this series, and I'm gonna entitle it Encouragement for a Heavy Heart. And there's been some things that have been going on in my own life, and I don't know about you, but when stuff starts happening in your life, you think you're gonna be doing this. You think you're going one direction. All of a sudden, God switches it up on you. Anybody ever had God switch something up on you, okay? And you're frustrated, maybe. Um, maybe a bit afraid, maybe a little bit intimidated. Some of you may have a little bit of trepidation about what God's asking of you. If that is you, this weekend's message is for you. The title is Encouragement for Every Heart, but I gave you another title. What if I don't wanna go? So once God has revealed his path, the title is what if I don't want to go? What if I don't wanna go? What if after God has made it clear to you of what path he desires you to walk, you have this angst building you that says, God, what if I don't wanna go? Because I know I just know there's no one here who has ever had God change your path. I'm the only one, right? That God has just totally kind of mixed up things a little bit. And one morning you wake up and it's like everything changes in your life, right? And God shows a new path. Or another way we could say that is maybe he gives you a new responsibility. And none of you, I know, have ever said to God, what if I don't want to go? I know you all being saintly people, holy people, you've always said yes and amen to everything Jesus has asked you to do instantaneously. Yes, Lord, I'll go wherever you want me to go. I know you've never gotten frustrated like a four-year-old in aisle four because you didn't get the EL fudge cookies you wanted, right? And you, fall, you throw a tantrum and saying, God, what if I don't want to do this? What if I don't want to go that way? 
Or maybe this morning you're sitting right there right now. And maybe there's a part of me that's there too. And here's one of the things that I commit to do. I commit to do as your pastor. I don't commit to be your hero. That's first and foremost. I'm not trying to impress you with how awesome I am, okay? Because I'm not awesome. Without Jesus, you'd be shocked at just how unawesome I am. I don't commit to being your hero. You know, when I was 18 years old, I didn't think Jesus needed to be that awesome. Now I'm 31 and I've learned a few things. He needs to be all awesome, right? I don't commit to being the person who is a hero. It's not my job to be your hero, but it is my responsibility to be your pastor. And as your pastor, in order for me to be a pastor, I don't have to be your hero. I have to be obedient. That's what God asked of me. He asked me to be obedient, to speak what he says to me. And so if I want to include you in this journey of where God has taken this community and where God is doing in our lives individually and corporately, because some of you may be on the exact journey I'm on. Some of you may be right there in the same place. Maybe I come across a little bit today like Jonah with a twist of Job at the end. But it, I, I want you to, to hear my heart. I want you to hear what's going on in my heart because everything's great. Everything's awesome. My heart is to give God all that he asks for. That's all I want to do. But there are times in life, and let's just be honest, when God has given you these responsibilities and then you hear him clearly ask you to take on this responsibility and it overwhelms you. It overwhelms you. It brings a, a very soon, sudden change brings some overwhelming feelings, a lot of anxiety sometimes. And, and you say, Lord, I can't handle this. Like, what in the world is going on, God? It was easier doing this. It was easier going this direction. I pray today that God speaks to those in this room and those streaming live who are intimidated about where God is asking them to go. So I'm going to go out first. That's the way this thing works. I'll be vulnerable first. Some pastors or some people, they want pastors to pretend to be the strongest humans on earth. If that's you, you picked the wrong church on the wrong Sunday. No sorry. When you are weak, he's made strong. When you make yourself strong, he's made weak in and over your life. And so his strength is attracted to our weakness and our brokenness. And so the church needs to do a better job of being vulnerable. Can I hear a good amen right there? How can we help one another if we're not vulnerable to one another? We can't serve one another. So let's stop pretending. Let's be real. And if someone asks you at the meet and greet, hey, man, how you doing today? It's totally okay to say, you know what? It's not going that good right now. Because most of us, we do what we've done in church for many years. We put on a mask. I'm just doing so good. Bless God. I'm blessed. Highly favored. Things are well. If it was so well, why'd you go to sleep crying last night? Why'd you, why are you so nervous that your palms are sweaty? So we can be real. We can be open. Now listen, if I meet a stranger in a meet and greet and they say, how am I doing? I'm not going to drop the A-bomb on them. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that's, that's what you don't want to do, right? But it's okay. Listen, I'm challenging you today. And if we don't start this challenge, I'm challenging you to be real about where you are and how you feel about it today. Because listen, your relationship with God can handle the truth about how you feel about what God has asked you to do. And here's what concerns me is when you don't think it can. It can handle it. And if you feel God mixing it up a little bit right now, and you feel God asking you in maybe a different direction or asking you a new responsibility, what I want to do today is I want to give you three things that you must do in order to step away from, God, what if I don't want to go, to God, I will follow you wherever you go. Three things you've got to do. Here's number one. I want to turn to Genesis chapter 12 if you've got your Bible. Genesis chapter 12 is going to give context to the entire message and where we're going. This is the calling of Abram, the, the beginning, the first patriarch of the Christian faith, the, 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 the Hebrew faith. 
And Abram is called out of the land of Ur of Chaldees. This is a powerful text where the Christian faith begins right here. Many people say Pentecost is the, the birthday of the church. That's actually an inaccurately biblical statement. The birthday of the church is Genesis 12. Because ultimately, the church becomes the utter fulfillment of the nation of Israel, okay? And so Genesis chapter 12 is where God calls a man named Abram from a father named Tetrarch. That's his name. And he was a pagan. Joshua was son of Nun, was a pagan as well, which tells us that God doesn't choose to, to choose us based on our pedigree, does he? And so God calls Abram, and he calls him, and this is what he says in this call narrative. The Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you or treat you with contempt. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. Now look at verse 2 and 3. Those are some awesome, awesome verses. God says, you know what? I'm going to make you famous. Some of us look at Abraham, we think, man, those first few verses, that would be cool if God came to you and said, I'm going to make you famous. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make a nation out of you. Everybody that blesses you, I'll bless. Everybody that curses you, I'll curse. I'm going to bless all peoples of the earth through you. But here's what I know, church. I don't think Abram even heard what God said after verse 1. Because if I learned anything about life, verse 1 is enough to make anybody go crazy. God says, leave everyone you know, leave everything you know, leave all that's familiar to you, leave everything that's precious to you, leave everything that's been close to you, and I want you to go somewhere that I'm not going to tell you where's at. So think about this. I don't think Abram, I think Abram's his, his ears have cotton swabs in him after verse 1. He doesn't even hear what God says. Here's why. Because oftentimes when God gives you the next challenge and then tells you what the next blessings are, the, uh, the, 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 the temptation becomes that most of us, like me, get so fixated on the challenges, we don't even hear what the blessings are. We get so fixated on the mountains we have to climb, we can't even hear the blessings that God's going to give. If that's you, and you feel kind of God's put a new challenge in front of you, and your flesh is saying today, what if I don't want to go, God? Here's some things you need to do, three of them. Number one, you have to admit you are scared. you got to admit you are scared. Just admit it. First Peter chapter 5, look at verse 6 and 7. Verse 6 says, So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, the hand of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. We think that's awesome, right? I mean, that's amazing. That sounds awesome until you read verse 7. Give all of your worries and cares to God. The word cares is translated anxieties, for he cares about you. Can I give you a biblical definition of anxiety? A-N-X-I-E-T-Y, equal sign. The state of being pulled apart. The state of being pulled apart. Some of you, you just need to hear today that it is entirely okay that when you feel God asking you to go in a new path, a new direction, or a new responsibility, it's okay to feel pulled apart at first. It's okay to feel that anxiety. The Bible tells us what to do in those moments. He says to cast all of our anxieties, our feelings of being pulled apart, to cast them on him. Listen, how can you ever give God your anxiety if you're never willing to admit to God what you're anxious about? How can you ever give it to him and place it in his hands? I know especially for men, we think admitting our, our anxieties or our fear is a weak thing. Well, that's ridiculous. That's a redonkulous ridiculous. To admit that we're scared about something. My son right now, I told you, he's, 
He's playing basketball. And yesterday he scored six points. That's a little bit further, you know, far away from 18 last Saturday, but that's one third of the way. Six points yesterday. And uh, he still gets nervous when he plays basketball, but the thing that he really gets nervous about is speaking. And if so many of you are here on Christmas morning, I actually somehow, I still don't know how, to do, how I did it to this day. It's a miracle of the Lord. But I got him to come up on stage and speak that Sunday. And Now, he didn't hold the mic. I did. But I really, really, you know, had to do a lot. Had to bribe a lot to get him up here because he gets so nervous to speak in front of people. And I'm trying to teach my son right now. Listen, what's, what, what, even the best basketball players. Did you all watch Curry throw down last night? 48 points, knock down a three at halftime. I mean, he's shooting all over the court. My son loves Stephen Curry. He got a Stephen Curry jersey from my, my mom for Christmas. He's worn it every day since December 25th. I mean, just every single day. Even over the top of his stuff, right? I mean, he just loves Curry. And so I tell him all the time, like, Curry, even the best basketball players get nervous. And I said, listen, son. What separates good speakers from great speakers is not how good they speak. It's how honest they can be about how nervous they are. What separates good players from great players is not how good they are. It's how honest they can be about what really scares them. And listen to me, as believers, if we can be honest about what we are afraid of, we can give the fear to God, and now it's his responsibility and not mine. It's his Listen to Proverbs 12, 25, because there's a couple of things you need to know if you're going to be about being scared, admitting you're scared. Number one is this. You have to know concealing it will kill you. You have to know that concealing your fear will kill you. Proverbs 12, 25 says this. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Here's how you need to see that. Any anxiety you hold on to will eventually hold you down. Any little care, that's the little cares we talked about in 1 Peter. Any little care that you hold on to will eventually become a massive problem. Any small cares that seem so insignificant now, if they're not dealt with, they become massive issues. You've got to be able to give God what scares you in life. You have to be able to do that. Concealing it will kill you. You've got to be honest about it. You know, when my kids have a nightmare, you know where they go, parents? Where do they go when they have a nightmare? They go to your bed, right? And my wife has mastered the hip throw while remaining asleep at times. And they always go to mom's side, right? My daughter's sick right now, and she's coming out of sickness, so she's still sleeping on our couch in our room. And she unfortunately woke up my, my wife about 38 times last night. Mama, 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 mama. I spilled my water, mama, more medicine, you know. And, and, and so when my kids have a nightmare in their bed, they immediately come into my bed. And here's what's crazy. Not one time in their entire life had they had the same nightmare in my bed that they did in theirs. Never. Now I thought about this. How foolish, it, foolish would it be if my son who's seven knocks if he was laying in my bed one night, gripped with fear, gripped with anxiety, and he thinks to himself, you know what, I gotta be a man. Daddy said I'm seven years old now. I'm a big boy now. I gotta be a man. I gotta be a man. I can't tell dad. How foolish would it be for my seven-year-old to say, you know what, I gotta be a man. I can't tell dad that. And he falls back asleep and has the same nightmare, and he's gripped with the same fear, and he wakes back up and says, you know what, I'm a man now. I can't admit it. I can't admit it. I'm seven years old now and falls back asleep and does it again and again. Listen, as long as my kids hide their fears, their fears will control them. God says, as long as my children hide their fears, their fears will control them. They'll control them. The anxiety will hold them down. 
But the minute they have the guts to come to me and tell me they're scared, it's amazing they're immediately no longer afraid. Immediately find peace. The second thing you need to remember if you're gonna be afraid, things to, to admit to God you're scared, is he already sees it. You gotta know he already sees it. God already sees the fear that's there about the path he's asking you to walk. You say, Craig, where's that? Proverbs, Psalm 31 and seven. Notice what the Bible says. I will rejoice, rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love because you've seen my affliction. He's already seen it. And you know the anguish. The word distress is better translated anguish. I think the New American Standard does so. The, the anguish of my soul, my mind, my will, my emotions. You've seen it already, God. Think how crazy it is, church, to think that we can hide something from the God who is everywhere and everything. Go back all the way. Come on, let's take a history lesson. Go back to the Garden of Eden with Garden Eve, utopian society. Sin has not pillaged the earth. Man is in perfect communion with God. Adam and Eve are deceived by the serpent. They fall into sin. I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but I want to ask you a question. What made Adam and Eve think that they could hide from the creator of the universe who is everywhere behind a bush. Have you ever thought about that before? Like why, what made them think that they could hide behind a bush or a bush would keep them hidden from the creator? Genesis 12 calls him the El Elyon, the creator God. When, when Abraham came back from Lot and, and tied to Melchizedek, he called him, God called him El Elyon because God always reveals God's self in the midst of a situation or crisis we're in. Isn't that amazing? God's self-revelation comes in the midst of problems in the Old Testament. So El Elyon, God, the creator God, says, you know what? You're hiding behind a bush. And we laugh at Adam and Eve, but we do the same thing. We do something we know we shouldn't do, and we hear God coming towards us, and we try to hide it from him. That's really going to work. It's not going to work. That's like a five-year-old who goes into the kitchen and goes to the birthday cake from yesterday's birthday party. And instead of using a knife, because that's not what five-year-olds do, that's dangerous. She takes her hand and she separates the cake, two-thirds for herself, one-third for her bigger brother. And then she just starts stuffing it in her mouth. <laughs> and about that time, you walk into the kitchen and she's... And you say to your sweet little innocent child, honey, did you eat some of that birthday cake? And she says... Icing all over her face. Listen, God already sees what scares you. Why hold on to it and try to hide it from him? It doesn't make you weak to admit to God what you're afraid of. Listen, any fear you hide, you will be gripped by until you are willing to admit it. Here's the third thing about fear. These are subpoints under this admit you're scared. You have to know he'll take care of it. You have to know this. You have to know God will take care of it. Psalm 55 verse 22, listen to what the Bible says. Our, give your burdens to the Lord. And he will take care of you. He will not permit the godly to slip and fall. He will take care of it. I want you to listen to me. Something that I've learned about my marriage that is just fascinating to me. And, um, and I want to share it with you. I believe that in my marriage, personally believe in my marriage, that I am at my best when my wife comes to me and she shares with me either a fear of hers or a frustration of hers. I don't know how to explain it, folks, and I think I'm going to take a stab at it at the marriage retreat this year, but I have found that in my marriage, when Jesus Christ yokes himself to me, Matthew eleven twenty six, 26, take my yoke upon you, learn from me, I'll give you rest, 
Yoke is easy, burdens light. That means Jesus yokes himself to the, to the husband and yokes himself to the wife and teaches us how to love the way he loves them. That's why marriage is not a spectator event for God. He's a participator in marriage. He yokes himself. But here's what's so amazing is when my wife comes to me and shares with me a fear or frustration of hers, something magical happens when I sit down and I share my fears with her or frustrations with her or she does with me. Because when she confesses a fear or a frustration to me, something inside of me rises up to help her overcome it. It's not to help her fix it. That's what she doesn't need me to do. She doesn't need me to fix the issue. It's something that it rises up to, to help her overcome it. If I, being the marginally decent husband that I am, want to treat my spouse that way when she confesses a fear of frustration, how do you think Jesus, the bridegroom, will treat his bride when his bride's open and honest enough to sit down and say, this is what I'm afraid about? Everything within the Lord comes up, rises to the surface, and wants his bride to overcome her fear, to overcome her frustration. I'll tell you today, he wants to take care of it. He wants to take care of it. If you'll tell him how you really feel, and if you don't think you can tell God your frustrations, you need to read the Psalms, folks. It will liberate you. King David is my hero. I've told you that last week. King David's my hero because he griped more than anybody else in all the Scripture combined. Right? I mean, this dude is griping all the time. And yet by the end of the chapters, he would finish by saying, Lord, I still trust you. I love you and I can't live without you. You know what encourages me about the man who griped more than anyone else in all the scripture? It's that same man as the only man in all of scripture of whom God said, he's a man after my own heart. Craig, are you saying God's a griper? No, I'm saying that God loves your honesty. And he would rather you be honestly frustrated than dishonestly faithful. He wants you to be honest with him. Honest, to share with him what, what, what scares you. Admit your frustrations with him about the path you're on. You mean God's a griper? No, God's not a griper. And maybe this week you should be a little more honest with God about the situation he has you in right now. Instead of hiding it, thinking that's the godly thing to do. The godly thing to do is to be honest with him, to press into him and trust him no matter what. Here's the second thing you must do. If you want to move from, God, what if I don't want to go to, God, I'll follow you wherever you go. you got to sit until he speaks. you got to sit until he speaks. Let me preach to you a little bit, all right? got to sit until he speaks. Psalm 27, verse 14, powerful text. He said, wait patiently for the Lord. Don't miss this, church. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. Did you catch that? Wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Wait patiently for the Lord. Isn't it amazing that there's a verse in the Bible that God says, wait patiently for me, be brave and courageous, wait patiently for me, in between a sandwich of waiting patiently for God is be brave and courageous. Is it possible that God is saying one of the most brave things you can do is sit down and wait patiently for God to speak while everybody else in the world is running around like their heads are cut off like chickens? In other words, Craig, sometimes in life, one of the biggest tests we face is refusing to be busy when God told us to sit still and wait. That's a test. It takes bravery and courage to sit and wait. 
Just ask Mary. Martha couldn't do it. She got frustrated. See, we've turned busyness into godliness. Busyness is not godliness, is it? Obedience is godliness. Busyness is not the same thing even as productivity. I can get on a treadmill and be busy for 30 minutes and hit stop and step off on the same place I stepped on. I didn't go nowhere. Obedience is godliness. Obedience. See, we think it's godly to go months without a day off. Man, I'm just doing it for the Lord. I'm just doing it, man. God's what God asked me to do. No, you're in rebellion. Because the creator took a day off, the seventh day. What's your excuse? Well, Craig, I'm not God. That's the point of the Sabbath. <laughs> the point of the Sabbath, the rest. To understand, realign, to see the world as something not to escape from. That's what the Sabbath is all about. To rest, to realign, to silence myself, hush myself until every motion that's in my life is centered back on the kingdom of God. That's what it means to sit and wait. Sit until he speaks. When was the last time you stopped everything in your life simply to wait on God? That's a great question. What's the besetting sin of the American public? Impatience. Listen to me. Impatience is the original sin in the eyes of God. Every sin can be traced back to impatience. Impatience. We want things on our time. Right? My pastor used to say we're a microwave generation who serves a crockpot God. We're so impatient. We're so impatient. We always want things right now for our time, for our place. I hate to wait. Anybody else hate to wait? Come on, just be honest. Anybody else hate to wait? I hate. If you ever see me at the grocery store, by the way, come say hey to me. If you see me up there with my cart checking out, come say hey to me. But over your dead body, please don't get in my line. Don't get in my line. I don't know what it is. If I see two lines and one has 14 carts and one has one cart, if I go to the one cart line, the 14 cart line will get done before the one cart line. Every time for me. I told Walmart the other day, please stop greeting me with 35 greeters and send three of them to the checkout lines. You know what I'm saying? Please help me, Jesus, okay? Please, right? I mean, just go to the other line, right? I always get coupon lady who's arguing with the manager over 33 cents. If you get in the line and somebody pulls out a three-ring binder and it looks like they're trading baseball cards but they're really coupons, that's, the, that's your ticket to get to the other lane as fast as you can, all right? We hate to wait. I think it's God's way of making sure I'm patient. I always get the coupon, lady. I hate to wait, but listen, as I get older, I realize waiting is one of the wisest things you can do in life. When was the last time you waited on God? I'm saying you literally sat down and you waited for God to speak. Here's what concerns me, church. Too many people, I'm talking about Christians, have gotten far too comfortable with moving through their everyday lives without ever hearing God speak. So comfortable. I felt like this week the Lord asked me something. Any of you don't know, if you, if you do don't know this, I, I had a major back issue um, a few weeks ago where I tore some, I have slight tears in some of my disc, but I had muscle spasms that accompanied it, and it was the worst pain of my life. I thought I was dying. I'm not lying to you. It was horrible. And when we called 911 and they gave me some Verset in the um, ambulance, I started losing some memory and amnesia, which is normal with Valium, and they pumped me full of Valium for days just to let my back relax. I was going into spasms. I couldn't lift my leg, couldn't move my ankles. I would go into spasms. And... Um, and when I came off of the medicines, the hydrocodones and everything, I, uh, 
I had a tough, tough week. The serotonin levels in my brain came down. And many of you, this is not new to you. There's fellowship and scars and you've maybe had to deal with anxiety and depression. But there was nothing to snap out of it. I couldn't snap out of it. And for a few days as I was spinning, I could not read my Bible. And, uh, and I've always prided myself in being able to hear. And I, I was so scared. I mean, I was scared as I've ever been in my entire life. I had the enemy tell me that I would never hear, never be able to read again. And um, I've, I've come through that and I'm getting better and better. I've been off medicine for a long time. And then I had the diverticulitis attack. And so it was just one thing after the other. But in the midst of all that, I'm not doing that to glorify it. I'm doing that because in the midst of that this week, the Lord asked me something. He said, Craig, what's your biggest fear? And... Um, I started really thinking about what I was afraid of. And there's several things I hope, as a husband and as a father, I hope never happen in my life. I gotta be honest with you, there's several things. But I'm not gripped by fear. It's not a gripping thing. But there is one thing above all others that scares me to no end. I mean, it scares me the heavenly daylights out of me. My number one fear in life is that God would stop speaking. And it isn't a disease it's not related to my children. It's not related to my marriage. It's the number one fear in life is that God would stop speaking to me because I can make it through a lot of difficulty and I can make it through a lot of challenges and I can take it through a lot of mountains as long as God is speaking. But I'm gonna tell you, I'd rather die if he's not going to talk. And thankfully, as I answered that question, it always brings me encouragement when somebody else in scripture feels the same way I do, Right? That's what we're given the scriptures for. And there is somebody in scripture, at least one, that makes me feel a whole lot better. Listen to Psalm 28, verse one. I pray to you, O Lord, my rock, do not turn a deaf ear to me, for if you're silent, I might as well give up and die. If you're silent, Lord, if you choose not to speak, I might as well give up and die. When was the last time you said that to your Jesus? When's the last time you've come before God and said, Lord, if you don't speak, I might as well die. I have to have you speak to me, God, or I quit. I give up. I can't do this anymore. I'm not going down this path anymore until you speak. If you haven't said that in a while, you've gotten way too comfortable with not listening to his voice. Way too comfortable. Of not hearing him speak. Well, Craig, I don't hear God like you do. God doesn't speak to me that way. Really? You, so you're telling me that God only wrote this book for me and not you? Complaining that God is silent is like complaining you're not getting text messages when your phone's turned off. It makes no sense, right? God wrote this for you. God wrote this for me. So stop looking at people like me. Stop looking at pastors like me and thinking we can be closer to God than you. That is not the case. Here's how you know that God speaks to you. He literally wrote the greatest and left the single greatest love letter in all of history next to your bedside so that every night you could hear his voice before you go to sleep. He wants to speak to you. Revelation 2 and 3, he says seven times, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. He longs to speak to his children. When was the last time you sat still and you said, I'm not going any further, Lord, until I hear you speak? Let me go further. What do you think your life would look like if you made a commitment that every day of your life you didn't hear God speak during the day, that you refused to fall asleep until you heard him speak in the night? Wow. What if you got to bed at midnight? I'm serious. I'm serious about this. You got to bed at midnight and you hadn't heard God and you had the guts enough to say to the, to the Lord, 
God, I, I, I don't know if I missed it today. I, I don't know if I was too busy or I don't know if I, I didn't give you space, but, but I'm not going to bed until I hear your voice. You would hear him a lot more often. Life is screaming the presence of God, church. We just have to be obedient and we have to be attentive. Moses stepped aside and saw the bush. Every other shepherd in the desert of Midian that day never saw the burning bush, but Moses did. Because the bush is always burning. The question is, do you have the ability to sense? God's always speaking. What would happen to your life? Want to know how easy it is to hear God, by the way? Get in your car this afternoon when we leave and flip on your radio. It's that easy. What do you mean it's that easy, Craig? I don't hear it that easy. Well, you don't hear the station in your car because you've got a thousand different songs playing in your head at the same time. And you can't hear God's voice when you've got a thousand different noises in your head at the same time. You have to silence yourself to hear God speak. And so maybe this afternoon you need to sit down under an olive tree and you say, God, I'm not getting up until you speak. And that's not an ultimatum, God. That's the cry of my heart. That's the cry of my heart. It's the cry of my heart. Here's the third thing you gotta do to move from God, what if I don't wanna go to Lord, I'll go wherever you ask me to go. Admit you're scared. Number two, sit until he speaks. Number three, trust he's doing this for your own good. You gotta trust on the path that God's calling. He's doing it for your own good. Listen, the wisest thing to do when you're afraid is not to give God your fear, it's to give God your trust. Fear is false evidence appearing real, right? The acrostic. That's what fear is, false evidence appearing real. Fear is not the opposite of faith. Fear is faith perverted. It's faith, it's just faith in wrong facts. It's faith in what God has not said, right? That's what fear is. Fear gets a grip of our heart. Why is it good to give God my trust when I'm afraid? Well, Psalm 56.3, look what the scripture says. But when I'm afraid, I will put my trust in you. Why is it good to put your trust in the Lord when you're afraid? I wanna read you a verse that might comfort you when you think, man, God, this way doesn't seem like the best path for my life. And I, I thought you said this, but it don't seem like the best path. What, what's going on here, Lord? Let me read you. Listen, if Jesus could walk into this room right now, and the way he ministers in this room now is by his Holy Spirit, right? He's in heaven. If Jesus could walk into this room physically right now and he heard somebody say in your mind, God, this path that you told me to walk on don't seem like the best way for me, here's what he would say to you. Exactly. This is, this is right now in the moment. This is what Jesus would say to you, Psalm 32, 8. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and I will watch over you. This is what God promises us. I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. Another way to say that, this is not a trick dwelling place. God's not trying to destroy you. God's not putting you on a track so your train will crash. God says, if he's asking you to go on a new path, he's telling you, you stay on your track and your train will crash. It's not the best pathway for your life. But if you hop onto this pathway, this is the best pathway for your life. So I'm going to give you some subpoints under this point. Here's number one. Some things you need to remember. Remember his motivation is you. Remember that God's motivation is you. I want to read you two cliche verses. We call them cliche verses in all the Bible. You know, when you're going through a difficult time, very difficult, and they, people quote these two, you want to slap them upside the head with the Bible. Anybody ever wanted to beat anybody for Jesus or just me? I did youth minister 12 years. Anybody ever wanted to beat anybody for Jesus? There's many a 
teenager I wanted to beat for the Lord. My kids I want to beat for the Lord some days. I'm just kidding, folks. Just breathe. I'm not really kidding, though. No. <laughs> it, it, there's nothing better than when you're vulnerable with somebody and they give you a cliche verse, right? Let me give you one, Romans 8, 28. Romans 8, 28. This is what he says. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose and immediately think, you know what? I don't need your cliches. Let me remind you, they didn't give you a cliche. They gave you God's eternal word. And the reality of it is, when you're going through what you're going through, you lose perspective. When your face is in the mat, you can't see anything else. When your head gear's on, you can't hear your coaches yelling at you. You don't know which way's up. You don't know which way's down. All you hear is just, no, you lose perspective. You got to understand when somebody says, all things work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. That's God's word. That's God's word. And the second one, when you feel like he's changing your plan, it's for your best interest. When you actually try to turn scripture into cliche, you are attempting, but you can't do it. You're attempting, but not doing. You're, you're attempting to rob the, the scripture of its power. You're attempting to rob it. When you feel like he's changing your plan or giving you a new responsibility, it's for your best interest. You've got to believe that, church. His goal is not to embarrass you because you don't know what's next. Some of you, you won't make the change in life because you think people are going to look at you like you're being embarrassed by not knowing what's next. And you've got to have a plan all the time. He's not trying to embarrass you, folks. He's trying to get you to walk on his path. Yes, the path he has asked you to walk is more than you can handle, comma, alone. But you can't handle it with him. It'll be handled with him. And if you're a millennial in the room, I think 83% of all millennials will have this tattooed on their skin by the age of 30, Jeremiah 29, 11. Right? We've, we've worn this one out, boy. Jeremiah's a weeping prophet, but dear God, when we look for encouragement, we go to this one. He preached for seven years, and no one ever listened to one thing he ever said, but dear God, this is... This is what, for, for I know the plans I have for you, he says. God says to him, declares the Lord. I'm reading from the New American Standard. I wanted to show you this version. Plans for welfare, not for calamity, to give you a future and hope. God's plan for you is not include calamity. Do you hear that? His path for you is not one of all calamity. It's not one. It's for welfare, he says. It's not catastrophe. And God has set aside a future for you that no one else is allowed to walk in, except you. God's motivation is you, is welfare. Your welfare is his mind. But God, there's a better path. And God's saying, God, no, Craig, there's a better path than you, that you, other than the one you're on. And if you trust me, I'll show you why. I'll show you why. Here's the second last thing you've got to remember. Remember his plans are firm. Remember, his plans are firm. I hate when the plan changes. Anybody else hate when the plan changes? Any of you like me, when you go on vacation, you've got every minute planned out. You know what you eat eating every night, every restaurant. It's not this little just make it through the day and sit on the beach and go in when you want to with me, baby. It's time. It's like every 30 minutes i got to have something to do. I hate the beach anyways. I'm translucent. I get third-degree burns. When... <laughs> so I don't, like, I don't like the beach, don't like the sun. That 93 million mile ball, it's just really, really hot. 
And so people like me, I just, I think I was made for Iceland or something. I don't know, but it's just the way I am. But in the beach, man, I, I, we plan out everything. We do, my family. My dad and I, we go to the beach for seven days, and we never well, step foot on the beach besides the sand trap on the golf course. That's the only beach I give. We, uh, we always plan things, but I hate when the plan changes. I mean, we know when the plans, when, when the plans, we know what the plans are. Things are more predictable, you know what I'm saying? No curveballs. How many of y'all like to rock vanilla right in the grave sometimes? You know what I'm saying? I told in the early gathering, anybody like Ice Ice Baby back in the 80s? Vanilla Ice. MC Hammer, MC Hammer back in the day, the true parachute pants. They need to bring those things back. But, but for me, I've always hated when the plans change. It's just, I like things more predictable. I hate when the plans change unless it's God who is the one who changes my plan. And here's where I am. And here's where I think the Lord is challenging me. And maybe some of you are too. I hope this ministers to you. As the Lord has been challenging me this week, I took my journal, my new journal from Christmas. And here's what I did. The Lord challenged me to recount every moment in my life when I argued with God about his path for my life. And I wrote down every moment that I argued. And every time, if I would track it through the argument, I would see how God came through every single time. Like in 2013, when my spiritual mentor at the time, Billy Wilson, moved from Cleveland, Tennessee, where we were living, to Oral Roberts University in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And my wife and I flew out to Oklahoma. And I've always kind of been an international person. I tend to even like other nations sometimes. And being specifically around other nationalities. And I always knew from a young age God had called me apostolically to serve church planning. And it felt like the right thing. It really did. I was going to ORU. I love college ministry. It's about 3,000 college students there, 78 countries represented. I would get to do ministry on a day-to-day basis. And Zay, he's a graduate of ORU. I went out and visited ORU and I was there at ORU and we went into Jinx, Oklahoma. My wife and I looked at a couple houses and we walked to a Midwestern Plains there praying and saying, God, this is crazy. But if you're calling us to, to Oklahoma, we'll move to Oklahoma. This is what we'll do. And we felt pretty good about it. And I even had given a pretty good answer to Billy at the time. And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation before where your own spiritual leaders want to tell you what they think God is calling you to do. But we went back home and flew back and we went to bed and we woke up and the greatest spiritual advice I've ever received probably is just sleep on it one more night. Everything seems to change in the morning. And I woke up the next morning and immediately the Lord would not allow our hearts. We had a check in our spirit. The spirit of God would not allow us to have peace in our mind and our hearts fully about what we were to do. This is what God was calling us to do, but not in this way at this time. And so we did and we said no to it. I remember another time where we were gonna step out and plant with another person and we were gonna go church planting in a different context. And yet God gave me a dream in the middle of the night and said no. And it was the craziest dream I'd ever had. This person's voice and this person's face was screaming at me and saying, don't plant with me. It was the other leader screaming. God gave me a dream. Every time I've argued with God, every single time, God came through. And guess what? When I recounted in my journal this week the times I've wrestled with him, guess who was wrong every single time? It wasn't him, it was me. It was me. It was me every time. And if you're here today and God is challenging you with something you don't think you can handle and your flesh has the propensity to say, you know what? I don't wanna do it, God. I don't know if I can handle it. 
You need to hear God's response. Do you want to go where I'm going? Because this is where I'm going. Listen to me. I will go anywhere he leads me because I've learned that even the tallest waves in life can be walked upon as long as he's holding my hand. Wherever he leads, wherever you ask, wherever you lead God. And if you don't want to go, my prayer is you get over yourself and I'd get over myself and we'd go. And maybe it's not going. Maybe it's not a new path. Maybe it's a new responsibility. And you would surrender and say, yes, Lord. You say, Craig, I don't know his voice or I'm, I'm confused or struggling with really hearing clearly the voice of the Lord. But listen, if you're struggling with hearing the voice of the Lord about the situation or path that you're on, it's one of two reasons. One of two reasons. Either you don't know him or you're not spend enough time with him to know and discern his voice. If this room was full of 150 people, let's say you put 150 women in this room, right? What do women do? They talk, right? You put 150 men in a room, and what do they do? They're all shutting up watching the Falcons. It's silent, right? They're watching football on TV. But you put 150 women in this room, you know what happens? And you put 150 women in this room, and everybody's talking. You could bring me into this room, I promise you. You could blindfold me, and every woman in the room could be talking. And if you'll give me a few minutes, it may just take me a few minutes, I'll walk around. And if every woman will talk, I will find my wife in this room. I'll find her. I'll find her. I'll go right up to her. I can be able to hug her. You can blindfold me. Why? Because I know my wife and I know her voice. If there are times in your life when you don't know his voice, it's either because you've not met him or you've not spent enough time with him to discern it. And there are moments in my life where when God begins to do this, God begins to train, change or move, or he begins to give new responsibilities. Some of you right now, I want to give you encouragement, okay? Because some of you feel like you're in a dead-end job. Some of you feel like you're in a place in life with your own parents, maybe, maybe your own marriage. Maybe it's about the direction and decisions that you're making, and you're asking God, Lord, I really want to know. And you're getting so much anxiety built up about his plan and purpose that you're actually confusing yourself and not allowing yourself to sit until he speaks I want to tell you folks to know your own heart is to know God's will once your heart's been sanctified and what happens is that God begins to move in your heart and you begin to find dissatisfaction of where you're currently at and you'll realize with great consolation and encouragement that if what God has put deep down inside your heart is not able to play out in the context that you're currently serving, then take that as a word of encouragement that you're only in a place transiently. It's just temporary. Because God's not going to put something, the very fact that He put the dream in your heart is the very fact and proof that He will see it to completion, folks. He's not a God who breaks promises. He's not a God who gives impulses. Moses had an impulse to lead the nation of Israel, brother. That's why he killed the Egyptian who was beating his fellow kin brother. But because he stepped out on the impulse before it was his time, he had to spend 40 years in the desert. It wasn't his time to deliver the people. But the impulse to deliver the people came long before the timing came. And the key of maturity is to say, I've got the impulse to step out, but I'm going to wait patiently for the Lord. Brave and courageous, wait patiently for the Lord. And he'll speak. And he'll open up doors that no man 
can close. You know, closed doors that no man can open, folks. Your gift will make room for you to minister. You don't have to go into your job, your employer, and try to show everybody how awesome you are. You don't have to do it. You're either marked by God or marketed by man. I'd rather be marked by God. Where God puts his hand on you. God puts his, his spirit inside of you. And he says, you know what? I will personally lead you in paths of righteousness for your name's sake and for your family. He will. He will. Just take consolation today that you've not seen the fulfillment of all he has for you. You say, Craig, well, God's not giving me the details. Well, welcome to the club. And I used to always argue with God, why don't you give me the details? And I used to think he was this hide-and-seek type of God, Andy, like, I'm just going to hold him back, and you got to seek really, really hard. I realize he's not showing me the details. You know why? Because he knows that if he shows me the details and the plan, I'll start putting more trust in the plan rather than the author of the plan, and I'll miss the whole point of life. He's not asking you to fulfill a plan. He's asking you to be in relationship with himself. He wants to lead you. Tomorrow morning, if I asked you, church, hey, I want you to meet me at the Midtown Diner that's down in that back alleyway across from the West and there next to Centennial Olympic Park. Which one would you rather me do? Would you rather me bring a big old map of Atlanta up here and I take my Expo dry race marker and leave your house and go down 92 and go south on 75 and 575 and then go south on 75 and then when you get to Olympic Park, take a right there and I want you to take a left there and I want you to take a right there and I give you the map. Meet me there at 9 o'clock. Or would you rather me say, hey, meet me at the church tomorrow at 8.30. You can hop in my car and we'll take you down to the diner. You'd rather me do the second one. God says, what does the Lord require of you? To love justice, seek mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And so many of you are laying in your bed at night saying, God, I want the map of the five-year plan. And if you don't mind, I like it Xerox copied. I don't like my edges to get tattered in my Bible. So if you could, just put it through the Xerox machine. I want it nice and clean. I want the five-year plan, the seven-year plan, the eight-year plan, the nine-year plan, the 10-year plan, the 15-year plan. And God says, hey, I can give you a map or I can put my hand in your hand and I will lead you in the very destiny and footsteps of Christ for your life. That's what he promises to do. That's what he promises to do. He wants to lead you because he's a shepherd. He's Jehovah Rohi, the Lord, our shepherd. Father, I thank you. Again, thanks so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. God bless you.